Hey everyone, I'm Steve Madden, uh, Editor-in-Chief and General Manager of MM&M. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I'm here with Kirsty Whalen, EVP of Innovators at Emory. Hi, Kirsty. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to talk about empathy today. Um, and if ever there was a time <laughs> that we needed to see more empathy in healthcare, or in general, across the entire culture, it's now. Um, it, it has made some, um, some appearances, of course, over the last year as we've, we've been dealing with COVID. The, the work that frontline healthcare workers have been doing with patients has been nothing but phenomenal. But in general, when you think about healthcare, empathy is not necessarily the first, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, but we're hoping to change that. And some of the work that Emory uh, has been doing is aimed to help to take care of that. Isn't that right, Kirsty? Yeah, and at Emory, we really started plumbing the depths of using empathy as a strategic methodology for our pharma clients several years ago. This was, you know, well before some of the transformative events that uh, have happened in recent years, and mm. um, we wanted to use empathy because we noticed that that was a problem and. It was really surprising to me because I thought, you know, shouldn't it be obvious that we should have compassion for sick people and people who love them? Isn't it obvious that we should design products, services, and systems that actually have patients and doctors in mind? Isn't it obvious that we should put ourselves in the shoes of people who we're marketing to um, and use empathy to better understand them? Um, but it's not obvious. You think it would be obvious and yet it's not. Yeah. And so we understood that. And I think, you know, we have empathy for people that want to learn to use empathy to communicate um, and design products and systems in healthcare more effectively. Um, so that's what we started to do several years ago. Um, at that time, you know, our methodology was simple. We are all patients. You know, that's something we can all relate to. Um, so we started to consider how can we connect some of our own experiences in healthcare and translate that to better understand how people feel. In fact, um, Steve, when I knew that I'd be talking to you today, we asked some of our team members around the office, um, what were some of their hangups about the healthcare system? Um, and what are some of their experiences with empathy? And this just gives you a little flavor of some sure. of the stories that you hear around our office and, and kind of what we use as inspiration. Right, and we've got some clips here from them, right? Yeah, we do. I actually do have one particular moment that came to mind was that I, I was a ballet dancer for many years and I unfortunately got really injured um, when I was in college and was going to see a lot of doctors, you know, constantly, whether or not I needed surgery, kind of what the next steps were gonna be. And it was really upsetting because it was tied to this thing I loved so much, the pain and, and the pain that my body was in was tied to this thing I loved. And so that was really challenging to sort of deal with it emotionally. And a lot of doctors were just kind of asking me the basic questions of how physically I was feeling and making me do kind of a wide range of exercises to kind of gauge where the problem was. But this one time after going to see many doctors and many different specialists, this one particular doctor, I, I must have looked upset or I must have just been feeling really frustrated. And he really sort of sat me down and just started talking to me about something unrelated, completely unrelated to, to my injury. And I initially was sort of kind of thrown off by it because I had not had this human interaction yet around this injury. 
And we started talking about the weather. We started talking about how much we love New York. And I started to just get taken away from the pain that I was in. And I always remember that moment because even though I was sort of in physical pain and I was in emotional pain, that doctor took the time. He could read the room. He could sense that I was going through a lot. And he took the time to get to know me and really treat me like a human being that was going through something. And so that always sticks out to me as something that I'll, I'll never forget. So a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with a blood disorder that resulted in me needing to be on a pretty intense blood thinner and is affected by what you eat and drink. So I was having to go into the doctor's office often every couple of days to check my blood levels. Wasn't something I could do at home. Um, And it was really taking a toll on my life because it was, you know, constantly going into the doctor's office. And after many, many appointments, I had just been put with this nurse practitioner um, who I hadn't met before. And when she had kind of sensed my frustration with constantly having to go in and and always, you know, wondering what my level was going to be and if it was going to be okay, um, she sat me down and just talked about other treatment options. My appointment was supposed to be like a five minute appointment just to test the blood and leave. Um, But she really picked up, I think, on how I was feeling and used a great deal of empathy and compassion to talk to me about other options that were on the market that were fairly new to the market and encouraged me to um, talk to my doctor about getting on one of those other options. And the second I did, I feel like my life opened up again. I wasn't constantly in and out of the doctor's office. I wasn't constantly getting pricked. Um, And I'm on a treatment that, you know, works super well for me and my lifestyle. Example that comes to mind would be, I so about this time last year, I started like getting like skin rashes and like, I was like, what is this? And it turns out it was eczema, which is like the most common thing on the face of the planet. Um, but I went to doctors and they like, didn't know what it was. And like one time I went to the doctor, they did like a biopsy, which left a scar on my leg. And it wasn't until I went to another doctor in Atlanta, which is where I'm from originally. Um, and she immediately like listened to like, my experience with past doctors and how I was like, I didn't want to do another biopsy because of what had happened. And she was able to diagnose me with this without like having to do like any procedure or anything like that. And I think just taking that time to listen to me and like my past experiences, because she knew I was skeptical, was definitely a time where I experienced empathy. Yeah, those those stories are great. They're they're so relatable because it, what what it, what it what every single one of those people was talking about was going back to basics. You know, something else that we like to do at Emory is look beyond the walls of pharma for inspiration. If there and if there was ever someone that represented beyond the walls of pharma, it is Ellen Lupton. Um, she's a museum curator. She's a senior curator of contemporary design at Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum in New York. She's the author of many design books, and she's considered to be an icon in the design community, especially by many of her former students at the Maryland College and Institute of Art, who just so happened to fill our creative department at Emory. So that's another reason we were excited to talk to her. That's uh, that's cool because that that's really outside of the box. Yeah, and I met Ellen about two and a half years ago, and we were both participated in a health design boot camp at Jefferson mm-hmm. University's 
Health Design Lab. It was founded by Dr. Bon Ku. So he's quite a notable um, person. He's a practicing emergency physician, and he's also the assistant dean for one of the leading medical school design programs in the country. So I joined that boot camp with one of our creative directors because we wanted to uh, learn how to train our teams to use empathy to solve problems. Because like I said, it's not always obvious. And we wanted to be able to teach our clients how to do that too. Uh, and in that boot camp, Ellen and I worked with people from all different backgrounds, pharma, marketing, medicine, architecture, design. And I really learned you didn't have to be a creative designer to use empathy and design thinking to solve problems in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So after that session, I took so much inspiration and different ideas back to our agency and our clients. That sounds like a tall, a tall order. Like how do you take something that's just so theoretical and, and actually apply it to real world work? Yeah, theoretical and also something that you would consider to be intuitive. So we really had to work hard to um, yeah. apply, yeah, apply empathy to our work. So um, one thing we've done, we designed uh, some a training program that we call compassionate intelligence. Um, we tried to brand that and frame that up as a modern core competency that marketers have to have. And we ran workshops and trained this competency around the world. Um, we also leveraged our new empathy superpowers uh, just last year to help launch a new sexual health drug um, and destigmatize shame that women felt about their condition. And I do believe maybe that was an award-winning campaign at the MM&M Awards. Um, so that just shows you how powerful empathy was. Well done. Um, yeah. And then finally, we um, continued to train with the professionals at Jefferson's Health Design Lab. They co-led a workshop for about 40 of us uh, at the Maryland College and Institute of Art with mm -hmm. Ellen. So in that session, um, she helped us lead empathy workshops to understand patients with diabetes better. How'd you do that? Well, we did it quite literally. So we monitored our blood glucose all day uh, after every email. Uh, we role-played uh, doctor and patient roles. We mapped out patient journeys, and then we prototyped actual products that we thought would solve problems for this patient and medical community. Um, and what was really special is during that session, Ellen and Bon were capturing insights and artifacts for a book they were writing together. And that mm -hmm. book is called Health Design Thinking, Creating Products and Services for Better Health. Uh, that's available to buy now. And I think it's a really engaging, enriching, and accessible read. So whether you've studied health design thinking for a long time, or you're just listening to this podcast right now, you're new to the concept and you're curious. Um, so I recommend everybody um, kind of use that as a primer. It's available on Amazon, right? Uh, yes, or your local shop. So um definitely check it out. So um, we're really excited today because our executive creative director at Emory, Ryan Jordan, had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Ellen about design thinking and the role that it could play in fostering a paradigm shift in our culture around how we embrace empathy as a healing tool. So yeah. we're excited to bring that to you today. Let's, um, let's listen to that interview right now.
Awesome. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining me. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people who are probably listening to this have heard the phrase design thinking, but might not actually know what it means. So I'd love to just start with, you know, the most simple question. What is design thinking? Design thinking is a method for looking creatively at problems that you want to approach in the world. So design thinking is really a way of analyzing a situation, asking the right questions, getting yourself started in the process of creative thinking. Design thinking is not the end. Design thinking is not the only thing that designers do. You know, design is also a craft. Design takes a lot of time. Design takes a lot of expertise. But design thinking is an extremely accessible, open-ended invitation to anyone to get involved in the design process and engage with it in a short period of time or over a very long sustained period of time resulting in solutions. So I hear you say accessible. Does that mean you don't need a degree or a, uh, you know, special study that says that you are a designer to participate in design thinking? Design thinking has been embraced by people in many different industries and professions. And it came out of the design world, but has become much more broadly used in education, in business, in medicine now, in lots of different fields, management studies, where having a creative point of view can help people to look at a situation that they wanna change and look at it in a way that makes change possible. Essentially, design thinking is used to undermine the status quo in our own brains, right? To get ourselves to question our assumptions about why things are the way they are. You know, I've often heard people describe design thinking as human-centered design. You know, I'm curious, like, what what does non-human-centered design look like? So if we aren't designing around people, what, what do we design around that is not people? Well, that's a really great question. So often we assume that the design process must, by its very nature, be oriented towards users. This is actually not the case. Uh, the design process is sometimes oriented around uh, selling more of something or fulfilling a technical problem, like making a bridge not fall down, which is not really a user problem, right? It's really a structural engineering problem. Um, or it might be oriented around aesthetics and around a designer contributing something new to the world of, of beauty and form and style, or simply conforming to standards of beauty and style. So there are lots of criteria in the design process that don't have to do with users, right? Aesthetics, engineering, selling more stuff, 
Those are also very important criteria for creating lots of products, but those aren't human-centered criteria. I love that. And, you know, um, you, in your book, Health Design Thinking, um, you know, early on, you observe that people don't often think of healthcare as a creative field. So I'm, I'm curious why you think that healthcare might be so ripe for innovation in design thinking. Healthcare, like design, has traditionally been centered around the expertise, right, of the doctor. Uh, and that's something that actually occurred historically. Doctors have not always had the respected place in society that they have today. Uh, but over time, doctors have acquired a great deal of authority as scientific experts, as members of a profession that is very answer-oriented, very solution-oriented. And in the process of establishing that power and authority, the patient's perspective has not always been respected. So if we think back to the 50s, for example, when a patient with terminal cancer might not be told that she had that condition, right? Might be protected from the truth. Today we have ethical positions in medicine that patients need to know the truth. They don't get protected from the truth. So a, a more egalitarian relationship between the doctor and the patient. And design thinking with its human-centered approach promotes that kind of respect for the patient and the point of view of the patient that the patient is an expert in their own situation and that that expertise uh, needs to be brought into the process of healthcare and how healthcare innovation is created. Now, you, you mentioned expertise and, you know, I know you co-authored your book um, with Dr. Banku. I'd love for you to talk about how each one of you represented that expertise, you with design and Dr. Banku with health. It was one of the most exciting projects of my life to co-author a book with Dr. Ku, who I met just out of the blue. We were on a uh, panel together about narrative or something. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> and he was talking about his work in applying design thinking to medicine. Uh, and he was aware of my work publishing books about design thinking and design process that are really oriented towards design professionals. And it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to bring our two spheres together. What he was doing, this innovating, this new area where design could be applied creatively to a whole new population of people, to healthcare professionals, to people in pharma, to people developing uh, technologies, health-oriented technologies, hospital administrators, a whole realm of people who are part of the healthcare industry who could be excited to have access to design thinking. So together, we were able to bring our different knowledge of these fields, medicine and design, uh, to create a really 
user-friendly book, a user-friendly introduction to how design thinking works and different ways that people can engage it and enter into it. I know Dr. Banku is a big believer that design thinking should be taught in med school. Um, I'd love for you to talk about that. Like, should that be almost a requirement of people learning medicine and working in the healthcare field to learn design principles? I think it's an amazing idea to require doctors to study design and nurses and pharmacists and all kinds of people in in the field of healthcare, Um, social work, it's a huge field. Um, Are all those people gonna become designers in the professional sense? No, but design thinking doesn't require that everybody become a professional designer. In fact, that's the point. The point is widening out who gets to participate in these conversations. Yeah, so I think it's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> I love that. And, um, you know, I, I'm curious what the role, you know, we, I think you mentioned empathy earlier. Like, what is the role of empathy in design thinking and how can that really impact the relationship between healthcare professionals and their patients? Empathy is a really important principle in the design thinking methodology. And empathy means putting yourself in the position of another person and doing this in as experiential a way as possible. You never give up being who you are, right? You're not really going to become that other person. So it's still a relationship between self and other, but it's a relationship where you, as much as you can, embody the experience of that other person. Design thinking provides different tools for helping all of us designers and experts involved in the process for helping us achieve empathy. So some of those might be um, changing your, the mobility of your hands in order to experience how does somebody manipulate a pill package or a device who has limited hand mobility or limiting your vision so that you can experience what is it like to read tiny print shoved into a pill bottle if you have low vision. But often it involves just listening to people who have an experience different from yours. And listening requires patience. And I love that that word patience is kind of a link between empathy and healthcare, right? Because what is a patient? A patient is someone who's kind of acted upon, who has to listen and wait and, and what if the doctor had to be patient? What if the healthcare provider or the insurance adjuster had to be patient and actually listen to and absorb the experience of someone who's on the other end of their product or service or procedure? Um. You know, I, as a designer, have a lot of experience putting myself in the shoes of the user, but I am curious, I think you alluded to this, you know, what is the role of the actual patient or the HCP, the healthcare professional in the design process? Like, do you 
think that they should actually come into the process and play a role in design. I do. And when you think about designing for healthcare, there are many users. So the patient is one, but the doctor is also a user. The hospital administrator is a user. So there, there are stakeholders who are affected at many different points in different ways. If we're looking now at the challenge of unrolling a vaccine across these great United States. And this challenge involves so many different people who are confronted with obstacles. The obstacles involve data and refrigeration and phone lines and um, where are people going to stand and if we look at the challenges around something like distributing a vaccine, we see that there are users all along the chain. There's the pharmacy, there's the nurses doing the vaccine, there's administrators trying to keep track of who has gotten which vaccine and who has gotten the second one. There's the patients themselves and they're the resistance that they may have about getting the vaccine or the impatience that they might experience if they want the vaccine. So the user is not one person. And in a complex field like healthcare, there are many users and all of them are experts in the problems that have to be solved. And where the problem happens, where it breaks down is when the stakeholders aren't involved and aren't consulted. And then you have stupid processes that don't work. I'm glad you brought up the vaccine. I, you know, I, I'm curious, I mean, do you find that this is a, an inflection point in our culture around healthcare at this moment in time? You know, we've got, um, you know, almost a year that we've been, uh, <laughs> you know, working from home, uh, uh, culture change and shift, people doing uh, healthcare visits with their doctors over Zoom, virtual uh, check-ins. Do you think that this sort of moment in time is um, design thinking needed more than ever? This is a revolutionary point in healthcare. Movements that have been, you know, very slowly taking place, like telemedicine and moving healthcare out of clinics and into communities, are now happening much more quickly. Uh, the the clear need for healthcare facilities to be flexible to be able to change in response to an emergency. This has to happen. The need to assess supply chains has to happen. The need to be able to share data between hospital systems has to happen. So this crisis is forcing the healthcare industry to rethink a lot of its fundamental structural habits. Yeah, and I've seen that, you know, I'm glad you brought up telemedicine. I think there's a lot of positive changes that are we're being forced to take in a lot of ways. I know there's there's also drawbacks. Like how how might we overcome some of the challenges of that, like not having that in-person interaction when we're 
sort of coming together to design and solve problems? Well, I think a, a key point is that telemedicine isn't going to replace face-to-face meetings with doctors. It's more that telemedicine can replace many such interactions. So familiar ones are post-op visits where somebody has had a procedure and two weeks later they need to come into the office for basically an okay, right? How's the wound site healing? You know, how are you doing? Are you, do you have a fever? That sort of thing. And those are arduous for patients. A lot of patients don't want to have to go back for those post-op visits. And many of those visits can be very effectively managed with a telemedicine interaction. Um, But telemedicine isn't a replacement, right? It's another tool that patients and providers can use that benefits both. I love that. And, you know, I've learned in my own experience working in design thinking that an important part of the process is prototyping. You talk about turning abstract ideas into tangible form. Uh, I'm curious uh, what what you've seen so far is the role of prototyping um, in this sort of Zoom culture we're living in, where we're seeing each other as pictures on screens. Does that make prototyping more difficult? Does it make it more important than ever? Prototyping is always important. I mean, prototyping is really the essence of design that you're constantly editing, you're constantly revising, you're constantly making things better. Um, A lot of the tools that design thinkers have historically used involve, you know, markers and whiteboards and post-its. And those things translate very well into Zoom. I actually think they work better because you have a record and they're typed instead of scrawled. So they're sort of automatically captured. But the physical stuff, you know, playing with pipe cleaners, not so good on Zoom. Um, So I think Zoom has been hugely beneficial in many ways for facilitating conversations with people in different cities and different countries and making meetings much more efficient. But it is just a tool in the toolbox and we we still need to be able to get together and make stuff. Well, I think you bring up such a good point, right? I think um, we know the power in numbers and brainstorming and bringing groups together, but um, having to be physically present, I think, limits you to a certain area. And, you know, I've seen in our own work that being able to open up the process, the design process to different cities, to different countries, um, everyone being sort of instantly accessible, um, it gives more diversity of thought, diversity of design, which I think is a huge benefit. It's one of the revolutions that isn't going to just go back to the way it was. This will be a tool going forward. I think everybody accepts that. (laughs) Ellen, I'd love to hear, as we start to wrap up, I I would love to hear an example, one of your best examples of empathy in action. I know I saw um, just a a ton of really exciting, impactful examples in your book, and I'd love for you to just maybe tell a story of um, how empathy sort of opened our eyes or opened your eyes to a design problem that was able to um, solve through design thinking? 
Yeah, that's a great, great question. So in our book, we talk about the development of a product for use in emergency rooms, for use in OBGYN exams, which uh, for, for your listeners who have had such an exam, uh, typically involves a very specialized table with stirrups and all this indignity involved with it. In an emergency room, they don't have that table. So a patient comes into the emergency room and millions of these exams are performed every year in emergency rooms. There is not the appropriate equipment for this exam. And so a typical solution is to shove a bedpan under the pelvis of the patient in order to visualize the area and, and have the exam work out. So, so a group of designers and medical students at Thomas Jefferson set out their challenge to design a collapsible device that would allow for this exam to be done in a more humane way for both the patient and the provider. Um, and in their process, they insisted that all of the men on the team undergo essentially a pelvic exam and to experience that procedure from the point of view of a patient with female anatomy. Um, and, and to me, that is really important and a great demonstration of how everybody on the team should try to put themselves in the same position. And the product that they developed is, is really fantastic because it folds down and is easy to store in the emergency department. And that solves the needs of the hospital administration that you can't have this bulky equipment sitting around. Um, and so a really good product serves the patient, it serves the provider, and it has an efficiency and economy that serves the institution. Wow, so when you talk about putting yourselves in the shoes of who you're designing for, in some cases that's literal, like you actually need to walk the Get path. on the table. Yeah, yeah, get on the table, <laughs> exactly. Um, that's, that's incredible. And I think um, the power of role-playing, the power of um, really understanding what someone's going through, I think, can have such an effect on your ability to solve problems. So I will, I will end with just one last question for you, Ellen. Um, I, I, what's something you're, you know, in a, coming off of a really hard year, what's something you're really optimistic about um, when it comes to health design thinking? Well, the pandemic has really brought out the best in designers. So in the face of systemic failure and lack of leadership, individuals and entrepreneurs and design students and design professors have jumped in and created uh, PPE, uh, designs for ventilators, um, new ways to do testing. And that is just amazing. And these, these products and these concepts are often open source. They're freely shared with communities around the world. They're often done in an altruistic way. 
And that to, that to me is hugely optimistic, that that's human beings coming together, human beings want to, wanting to solve problems and using design to help get there. That was great. I mean, that's, that's just really interesting. It's just, I love, I love perspectives like this on, uh, on healthcare. Um, what did you think, Kirsty? Yeah, you know, I, I am a truly big fan of this field and of uh, people like Ellen. Um, I find the concept and practice of health design uh, inspiring. Um, I thought so for a long time, and I hope some of your listeners will walk away with that too, Steve, especially if they're just in the beginning stages of learning how to wield empathy to make better marketing. We think that's such a, a powerful modern tool um, I, to u- use in pharma today. Absolutely. I agree. And the, the, the whole point of uh, better marketing is to drive better outcomes. Uh, as we all know, better health outcomes for everyone. Um, Kirsty, this has just been great. Uh, I really enjoyed this, and I really liked the uh, the approach that we're taking here, embedding um, audio clips uh, into it. It's been it's really helped us broaden uh, broaden the reach of the podcast and uh, make it even more interesting. I really appreciate your time uh, and uh, and your expertise and all the thought that you guys have put into this. Thanks. Likewise, thank you, Steve. You've been listening to the podcast. We appreciate your time. Uh, as the comedians say, we're here all week. This has been Steve Madden, Editor-in-Chief of MMM. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.